God gives us our mates for a reason, Cecilia, to balance us, right? And here's what I know from our vacation, that without my wife, if there was ever a fire in a hotel, I would be roasted to a crisp. Because for the first time, uh, I was actually in a, false, a, a fire alarm in the hotel. We had one night in a hotel that we were staying at. And all of a sudden, you know, in a deep, wonderful sleep, I get woken up by my wife. And I see her just kind of running around. And this, there's kind of this thumping or this horn, something in my, the back of my mind. I'm like, what? what? Get up! Get up! we got to go! we got to go! And, uh, and, and as I I came to reality, you know, I, I realized, oh yeah, that's a fire alarm going off, and, and this is an older uh, uh, place that didn't have, there was no lights flashing in the room, there was no sound in the room. I don't know that I would have ever even heard this thing if it wasn't for Gwen, and Amber and I were both just dead to the world, and uh, realized, yeah, yeah, that is going off, and, and she's like running, I count three times, she ran to the door, looked out, runs back in, runs to the door, looks out, runs back in. Nobody's moving. Nobody's doing anything. And this is just frustrating her. And I'm getting frustrated because she's frustrating me because she wants me to get up. And, uh, and so finally, I, I'm just laying there realizing, okay, until we leave this room, there will not be peace, you know, in in, in this hotel room. And so I, I, I sit up. Oh, hey, Gwen, how you doing? And so I, I, I sit up and I look at her and there's my wife in her PJs. With her purse, with her purse under her arm, these pink, pink PJs. I won't go into any more detail, but there is pink PJs with a black purse. So I'm finally waking up, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, "Well, Gwen, what do you want us to do? It's a fire alarm. We must get out of here. You know, we just go." And I look at her. And I said, "And you're going to go like that? You know?" And then it suddenly, you know, re she suddenly realized what she was doing. I said, "Well, I'm getting dressed. Amber's still not even up. I don't even think Amber's awake yet." And so finally, so I okay, I put on my shorts and my uh, t-shirt, and we 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 finally, we, and she changes. We go down. We're, well, first I call. I said. I called the information and I said, what's going on? Well, we, we don't know yet. If, if you want to, it's your choice. You can go down and, uh, you know, in the lobby if you like, you know, and, and I'm thinking, I don't like and it's not my choice, but we will go. So off we went. So Amber, you got to get up. You got to get up. It's a horrible fire. <laughs> you know, by this time, Gwen's just looking out. No one's moving. And I had met the general manager of this place right before I'd went to bed and he was staying in the room across from us. He's not even getting up. And he's the general manager of the place. So finally, we go down to the lobby. So we're down there live. And sure enough, I mean, we pass some firemen walking up. And there's the Branson uh, uh, fire truck down there. And, and, and there's nobody in the lobby. It's just us. And so, uh, you know, so anyway, I thought, well, I'll go get my camera and at least take a picture of the fire truck. You know, this is, a, <laughs> a, this is an e eventful thing. So I had left it in my, in my car. So I walked over to the car. I walk outside. There's this family out by the road in their pajamas standing and I thought wow my wife's pretty balanced we're you know we're, we're at least we're in the lobby you know she's in the lobby so anyway that was our excitement and it was just funny so I wanted to share that with you but uh, thankfully there was nothing I don't even know what it was anyway we went we went to bed and it was over now what that has to do, nothing, with how to listen to a bad sermon. So let's look at that. How to listen to a bad sermon. Uh, is, is there such a thing? 
Okay, yeah, from the mo- oh yeah, yeah. You you know there is if you've heard one. One uh, preacher said, "When I was a young preacher, I thought people should listen to what I said. Now I'm afraid they might be." Uh, yes, there are bad sermons. We've all heard them. Some of us have preached them. Some of us have taught them. But and perhaps you've been waiting through this whole series on Hupakuo. Perhaps you've been waiting for this lesson all all along, uh, thinking the trouble with all this stuff about the seven spiritual skills, and there's still some cards back there that, that you know, you ought to have this in your Bible looking through there. You said the problem with this is you aren't the one having to do most of the listening. You get to be the one speaking or preaching or teaching. You know, it's one thing to say, listen, but man, we have to listen to some bad ones. But that is only half true. Every Sunday, my time is split halfway through teaching and halfway through listening. And I can honestly say that I've grown in my ability to hupakuo, to place myself under what uh, God is saying through preaching, to be quick to hear, to be quick to obey and from my heart. I've grown in that by teaching these lessons, not only teaching them, but then immediately going up and applying that uh, as I go upstairs. And, and, and I'm I, I just saying to you that it, it, it is hard work to listen. But it's even more hard work to listen in order to hupakuo. It's one thing to listen. It's another thing to listen in order to obey. But that is exactly why we need this lesson. And let me say this, as a teacher and preacher, having preached over 20 years, uh, at least once a week, sometimes even two to three times a week for 20 plus years, I can say it's only a little less painful to teach a bad lesson than to listen to it. And anybody that has taught knows. In fact, I was looking on the internet first. I, I just couldn't, actually, I couldn't find any funny uh, examples of bad sermons that would be appropriate that I could show in this audience. Because there, most things, so it, it appears to me that most funny things that happen in, or that make a sermon bad or, or, or at least funny uh, uh, have a little twinge to anyway. I just Google worst sermon and you will find the worst sermon on the internet. Google worst sermon. I wish I could have shown it. You must watch it in private. But it is funny. It is funny. Now, um, but there was a youth group, a Presbyterian church, and you can Google this as well, that did a, um, a skit on I'm caught in a bad sermon. And it was, it, was, it was done, it was like a rap, I'm caught in a bad sermon. And it was done by the, the, the preacher is caught. It wasn't about the hearers, it was about me. I'm caught in a bad sermon. I don't know what to do. We've all been there, right, Jordan? Know what that's like. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's only a little less painful to be the one. Because, you know, you're thinking, well, you're up there, you get to be in control, and, and you're the one responsible for the bad sermon. We, on the other hand, have to sit and listen to it. You know, we have... We can't stop it. You could have changed it. You know, so thinking that it's worse. But that's why we need this, uh, this, this lesson. Granted, a bad sermon makes it much harder to hupakuo than a good sermon, but it doesn't make it impossible. If anything, a bad sermon will test whether you and I are really applying these principles. And I found that out last Sunday. That, that really, notice what it says in your notes, those who truly know how to hupakuo are able to listen to God speak through good sermons and through what? Through bad. That's how you know. Those who really have these principles that we've been talking about, 
that you really have these. Listen, if you're applying these, you can hear God speak in good sermons and in bad. And this lesson is going to help you uh, learn how to do that. And so we're going to first look at what makes a, a, a sermon good. I, I just felt that I didn't want to just get in to bad sermons because, first of all, we all have different ideas of what makes a bad sermon. And so I kind of felt like we needed a scriptural, biblical standard by which we could measure. We could go to many chapters and verses to define what a good sermon is. But I thought one good place, and I want you to turn there, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. This is a passage we've gone to several times in this series. Uh, there's many passages you could go, there's many things you could say about what makes a good sermon. This is just the fundamental benchmark because here's the thing, a good sermon is a, a sermon that preaches the Bible. Can we agree? Yes. And because a good sermon preaches the Bible, it should accomplish what the Bible is revealed to accomplish. And 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17 gives us what the Bible will do. Therefore, if I will just merely preach the Bible, I can be assured that my sermon ought to accomplish these things. So let's take a look at it. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. And here's one of the first things it does. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or instruction, for reproof, for correction, for instruction or parenting in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. Now, out of this, I just want to quickly give us three things. A good sermon is, first of all, Bible revealing. A good sermon is Bible revealing. We ought to be able to take that for granted, but we can't. The ESV says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. I just want to make a couple comments here. First of all, good preaching is not just based on the Bible. It bleeds with the Bible from beginning to end. Okay, it's not a side thing. It is the thing. Good preaching over time will cover the whole counsel of God. Notice what it says. All Scripture. Over time, good preaching will cover the whole counsel of God, not just the New Testament, not just a few favorite books, not just the pastor's pet passages. Good preaching takes the Bible seriously as the very word and words of God. Any good, reliable translation gives you not just the word of God that's in it, but the very words of God spoken and inspired and breathed out. Good preaching is expository preaching. It seeks to explain what a passage means or a group of passages in a topical message in a way that's true to the text and relevant to the hearers. It spans the bridges of two worlds. It takes you back to the New Testament, Old Testament culture, and it bridges into your life. Good preaching is God speaking through His man and His word to His people. It's revealed, it's real, it's relevant. Good preaching is consistent with the Scripture, the Sovereign Savior, and sanctified living. Let me read you 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. I kind of use this as a standard. Listen to this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with what? Sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Good 
Preaching is Bible revealing. Very simple. That brings us to number two. Good preaching is soul searching. If it's Bible revealing, then it's going to be soul searching. Look again at our text in verse 16. The Scripture is God-breathed, therefore it's profitable, it's useful for four things. And here's how I would summarize it. Soul searching. We, under good preaching, we should expect to be challenged. Challenged to learn new things about God, ourselves, and others. Instruction. Good preaching convicts us where we fall short of God's standards. Reproof. We ought to come and good preaching ought to convict us. We ought to feel bad. We ought to feel guilty about that where we fall short of God's holiness. If you can sit under preaching and always feel good, run. Because that's not good preaching. Thirdly, good preaching corrects us by showing us how to make things right with God and others. It doesn't just make you feel bad and say, Hi, I've accomplished my goal. Everyone feels bad today. That, that's another thing. If you always leave feeling bad, that's, that's not good preaching. Good preaching makes us feel bad so we can be better by God cleansing us or converting us. And that's the fourth thing that good preaching does. It converts the lost and it cleanses the saved to draw closer to God, to walk in His ways, to become more like Christ on a consistent basis. That's what it means when it says instruction in righteousness. Good preaching will disciple you. Now, you need one-on-one, you need small group discipleship, but good preaching is a vital part of growing up to become more like Christ. So, it's Bible revealing, therefore it's soul searching, and number three, it's life changing. Again, we're just looking at what is good preaching so we can understand what bad preaching is. Good preaching is always for a purpose. Notice, we quote verse 16 a lot. But verse 16 is sandwiched between verse 15 and 17. And verse 15 says, makes you wise to salvation. And 17 says, equipped for every good work. And so, good preaching is never an end in itself. It calls for a response, and the response is twofold. If you're lost, get saved. And if you're saved... Get busy, get equipped in the work of God. And so it's life changing. Good preaching will always call for a response and result in life application. Good preaching is never over until it's been applied to our hearts in life changing and fruit bearing ways. We talked about the four soils last week, two weeks ago. There you go. Okay, good preaching. That's good preaching. We're here to learn how to listen to bad preaching. So let's look at the second point. What makes for bad sermons and how should we listen to them? Uh, I think bad sermons can be uh, characterized under three categories. So let me give you three reasons why a sermon is bad. Okay, And we need to understand that they, these are not the same. The, every, every bad sermon is not created equally. And you have to listen to each bad kind of bad sermon in a particular way. And so we're going to learn how to do that. Number one, what makes for a bad sermon and how should we listen to them? Number one, practical reasons. There's practical reasons for bad sermons. What do I mean by practical reasons? A, this is a bad, a bad sermon for practical reasons is one that leaves a lot to be desired in style or presentation. The man of God is is sincere the the bible 
is, is, is the content. It's just bad in its presentation. We don't, uh, and, and as an example of that, or as an illustration, I'm not saying this teaches this, it's just an illustration. Acts 20, 7 through 12, where we read a few weeks back about Eutychus and Paul preaching. He preached at Troas and he preached long. But what we do know is that one young man by the name of Eutychus was sitting in a window and during this particular long sermon throughout the night, he not only fell asleep, what happened? He fell out of the window down to his death, and Paul had to go down and thank God an apostle was speaking. Uh, no matter how bad the sermon was, thank God the apostle came down and raised him from the dead. Now, we don't know, uh, you know why that happened. It, you know, it's one of those really interesting things about the Bible that shows us the Bible is real because it doesn't make a mystical example out of that. It doesn't comment on it. You know why it's in there? Because it happened. And the Bible is a historical, re, real, reliable book. Uh, maybe Eutychus was just tired. You ever, I mean, you know, sometimes what makes a sermon bad is not the preacher or the sermon. It's, it's, it's us listening to it. In a, in a, and that's why we talk about preparing on Saturday for Sunday. Listen, if you come to Sunday ill-prepared, uh, uh, staying up late, sleeping in, dragging yourself in, and, and, and everything's going to sound bad because you feel what? You feel bad. Okay, so maybe Eutychus was just tired. Maybe Paul was not the most dynamic speaker. We just don't know. These things happen, and they even happen to the best communicators. So even the best communicators can have a dull or a boring sermon. Paul himself said that his speaking style was not polished or the most dynamic. See, we read this and we think, wow, if I was under the Apostle Paul, I'd never fall asleep. I'd always hear a great sermon. And there's Eutychus falling asleep. But here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 3 and 4. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Now, I'm telling you, any of you that started out in preaching or teaching, you've all at least taught one lesson, your first lesson, in fear, in weakness, and much trembling. And let me tell you, it doesn't make for a great sermon. It makes your listeners uh, nervous and, and distracted. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. He did have the dynamic of the Holy Spirit, but and this is important for our country, he didn't have the dynamic of personality. He, uh, his, historically, it would appear that he was short, balding, had a uh, hooked, rather prominent nose. Uh, I, I'm telling you, Paul was not impressive. And uh, he, he, he wasn't the stereotypical view of, you know, he didn't look presidential. You understand what I'm saying? That, that, which to me is the weirdest thing, but I can't deny that... Anyway, I'm getting off track. But, but I'm telling you, that's a, lot, a large part of speaking. And, and, and if you don't look presidential, why, what does he believe? How does he lead? What does it, you know, anyway, the whole idea. The point was, there's practical reasons for bad sermons. Now, uh, that have no reflection on the spiritual character of the speaker or biblical content of the message. In other words, bad here means it was hard to listen to. Are you with me? Okay, so here's some practical reasons for a bad sermon in the sense uh, uh, of hard to listen to. Number one, too little structure or too much. 
The lesson may be chaotic, unstructured, and hard to follow, or it may be so structured and rigid you feel you're only listening to someone recite a recipe. They're just reading down through this. Number two, too much content or too little. It may suffer from information overload and just be a data dump that packs too much in one sermon or lesson. I have no clue who would do that or why they would do that, but that, that can lead to being hard to listen to. On the other hand, there might be too little content, and we'll talk about that under the next kind of sermon. Number three, too profound or not profound enough. Too profound or not profound enough. Too deep or not deep enough. It may be delivered at a level that's over the head of the listeners, or it may be delivered in a way that comes across as simplistic and naive. You know, it's like, well, you know, you, you can preachers and teachers can handle real life situations with a scriptural band aid that come, says, "Look, my wound is much more gaping. More, you're, you're, you're just, it's too surfacey. It is too." Shallow. Number five, or number four, too serious or not serious enough. Too serious or not serious enough. It may be delivered with such heaviness that listening is made difficult or with such lightness that it can't be taken seriously. And both, you've probably heard both. Number five, too much humor and not enough. Again, depending on your personality, you're like, how could either be, you know, you're, you're like, man, there can never be a, a too much. Or you can say, wow, any. Some would think any is too much. It may be delivered in a way that makes the pastor seem more like a stand-up comic than a man of God sharing the very words of God. Or it may be all seriousness with no humor to hope open the heart to deeper truths. Humor, humor uh, Jesus had tremendous... We miss most of Jesus' humor because he's speaking out of a first century culture that we don't relate. But I'm telling you, people were laughing quite a bit when he was speaking and then they were crying because that humor opens the heart to the zinger that takes you in. Number six, too few illustrations or too many. Too few illustrations or too many. It, a sermon may be like walking into a dark room with no windows to let any light in. Or it may be like walking into a glass house in which there is, seems to be no substance. No, you know, We went through Joplin and let me tell you, you don't want to live in a glass house in a tornado because you want some, you want some substance, some meat. Sometimes you can leave a sermon and say, man, those were great stories. Those were great illustrations, but what was the point? Okay. Number seven, too much passion or too little. And it's hard for me to understand how there can be too much, but there can be. You may be a sermon may be delivered in a ranting, yelling manner that comes across as angry and hateful, or it could be preached with so little passion, you're like, why did the guy even bother to get up there? I mean, if you're not excited about it, why should I be? Okay? Number eight, too little technology or too much. Too little technology or too much. The sound may be too loud or not loud enough. The room may be too hot or too cold. And just like information, there can be technology overload in this day. I mean, there's some churches you go in and, it, you know, it's, it's a light sound. I mean, you, you, you think you're, you know, at the Epcot Center and there's going to be a fountain shoot out of the middle. And, and again, in, in the midst of that, you lose the simplicity of the gospel. I'm here to hear from God. Not see a show. On the other hand, 
you can have too little media and miss out on the fact that we are in a visual culture and it would be crazy not to use visuals uh, in the appropriate setting, you know, down here with a roof that's five feet tall and I stand in front of the, the, you know, thing. And that's one of the reasons I don't. We tried a little bit of that. Half of you can't see it anyway. And to really be effective, I have to speak over here and what's now becoming the prominent thing? The media. And I just don't think that's appropriate. You don't come to the New Life class to have a visual titillation. You are here to hear the instruction to learn in truth, relate in love, and apply in life. But upstairs or somewhere where the screen is behind you and above and it's more appropriate, all those things. So those are all practical reasons. Now, when you look at all those eight reasons, I, you can write two things at the bottom of those or at the top. Presentation and personality. These sermons are bad for two reasons, one of two, either or, both and. Presentation and personality. And it's not just the personality of the speaker, it's the personality of the hearer, right? Because listening is in the ears of the listener, something like that. Now, the issue is not the truthfulness of the message, it's not the faithfulness of the messenger. The sermon may be dull or difficult and still be biblical, and the person has prepared to the best of his ability. So how do you listen to a sermon that is bad for practical reasons? And this is where we're going to spend most of our time because as you see the next two kinds of bad sermons, this is more likely the kind you're going to listen to in our church if you ever do have a bad sermon or lesson. And so we're going to focus on these. Let's look at these. Number one. How do you listen to a bad sermon for practical reasons? Number one, remember that you're expecting to hear from God and not just a man. I mean, that's the thing. And that's, that was our number one spiritual skill for Hupakuo. Really, all we're doing is applying the, the skills, the seven spiritual skills in this way. Let, listen, yes, it's a sin, so to speak, to make the Word of God boring. But that doesn't mean that God is not speaking, okay? And, and once you get that perspective, hey, you know what? I'm not getting much out of this. The first question we got to ask, what am I putting into it? And what am I expecting? Am I here expecting to hear from God? Or did I come here to hey, say, hey, I stayed up late, I got up late, I'm jury, I expect you to wake me up, which is kind of one of the functions of this class to prepare you for upstairs. Uh, the speaker is accountable to God for his speaking, true, but the listener is still accountable for his or her listening even if the sermon's bad, number one. Number two, don't let your personality and preferences or those of the speaker get in the way of hearing from God. Now, this is hard. Philip Brooks is a famous preacher who wrote a famous book uh, entitled The Joy of Preaching, one of the best books on preaching. So if you want a good book on preaching, Philip Brooks, The Joy of Preaching. In that book, he famously defined preaching in this way, and it's a great little way. Communication of truth through personality. Communication of truth through personality. And sometimes what makes the, the, the sermon bad in your ears or in your estimation is the personality through which the truth is coming. And you know what? Us preachers, sorry, we are who we are. All right? 
And that's, and that, and, you know, and in general, we all have, you, I, I'm telling you right now, you all have, if you listen to guys during the, online during the week, you all have preferences. You say, well, I, I used to listen to him, but he just grates on my, you know, I, I just don't get it. You know, I don't, I don't want to listen. I don't want, okay, that's fine. We have preferences. But here's the thing. We need to resist the temptation to say, like the carnal, immature Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, I am a Paul. I am a Peter. I am of Apollos. Or the real pious ones, I am of Christ. He said they're all wrong. Okay? And here's the thing. Resist the temptation to say, I'm a MacArthur man. Or I'm a Swindoll man. Or everybody that's really good and really preaching should all sound like John Piper. See, any of that is foolishness. But here's the reality. In our day and age with online and, and MP3s and all that we have, this technology, it's more of a temptation than ever before to compare and contrast and to say, well, this is my preference and therefore I want it like this. That's why I, you know, I, I've been thankful and have enjoyed our church. It, it, I, it's good to have more than one personality in the pulpit to remind us that that one person's personality that we like so much isn't God's personality. All right, God made all the personalities, and all preachers are not alike, and it's good to have different personalities. It'll be good for you to hear Dale Peterson next Sunday. He's going to have a different personality. It's always good. You know, this is the youth camp effect. Uh, you go and you hear a different personality at youth camp or on a missions trip as adults, and suddenly you hear things you've, we've been saying for every week for years. But man, no one says it like, you know, okay, that's fine because it's all coming from God, right? So that's number two. Number three, release unrealistic expectations. This is related to the second one. Release unrealistic expectations and unfair comparisons to other preachers and teachers. Sometimes what we, why we think a sermon's bad is because we have unrealistic expectations. Hey, I've been listening to MacArthur or Alistair Begg or, or, or whoever your favorite guy is, and you have a steady diet of that, and, and you build up in your mind that this is what great preaching is, and then you come in and say, whoa, wow, they're pretty normal. You know, what books have you written? How, how many are on your blog? You know, how many, you know, what, what, you know, why should I listen to you? Well, here's the reason why. Because we're your shepherds, and you're our sheep, and those guys aren't. And listen, it, you know, it, it might be great listening to MacArthur, but it might be terrible, in your opinion, you may find it terrible to be his sheep. Because let me tell you, Johnny Mac's not going to come visit you in the hospital, okay? Johnny Mac isn't going to be putting his arm around you at church saying, hey, I love you, and uh, tell me what you're, you know. He's not going to be visiting you. In, so, and so you have this glorified thing. And the reality is God's put you in a local congregation with imper. And, and by the way, you don't see any of those guys' imperfections. And, 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 and here's a clue. Those messages are edited. And they have a whole room of assistants digging up illustrations. I'm telling you, early on, I was like, man, I, I want to illustrate like, well, like Swindoll. How do I do this? And I, I've got an illustration file. And I, but then, you know, first of all, you can't do it. And then you later you learn, oh, yeah, he's got four Dallas grads digging up illustrations. No wonder the guy's a walking story. I could be too. Feed them to me. <laughs> you know? So... 
just don't make unreal... Listen, so much disappointment and discontent in life is a result of unrealistic expectations and the failure to release them. Those of you that have been on Matt campaigns know that's what we talk about, and that's true in every area, and it's true when it comes to, to a church and to specifically preaching. I think I was in college when I first heard preaching every week compared to being a baseball hitter. And the point was simply this. Just like the Royals, or maybe not like the Royals, the goal is to get a hit with every at-bat. Not necessarily a home run every time. Every once in a while, the speaker will hit a home run with his sermon or lesson, and everyone will know it. I will know it. You will know it, and we'll all leave going, wow, that was a home run. And, and there, thank God there are those times, and, 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 and some are better home run hitters than others. But here's the goal in baseball. Every time at bat, get a hit. Every time at bat, get on base. And the point of the illustration for young preachers and for us is this. The goal is not to hit a home run every time you're at bat. It's unrealistic. It won't happen. But the goal in preaching is to get on base. Did I get on base today? Did I? Was it Bible revealing? Was it soul searching? Was it potentially life-changing? If it was, and even if all it was was a, a run-it-out single, that's okay. I'm on base. Make sense? But if you come in here expecting every week's going to be a home run, listen, we've got lives just like you do. And some weeks go good, some weeks go bad, some weeks were depressed, some weeks were elevated, some weeks were good study weeks, some weeks were hospital funeral. Re- you know, so if you come in thinking, boy, I'm, every week's going to be a home run, no. The goal is to get on base. And that relieves pressure on the speaker, and it, and it is a realistic expectation. Secondly, unfair comparisons are another bad response. Uh, just like preachers should resist the tem- temptation to imitate the style and personality of, of other preachers, we listeners should re- resist the temptation to compare local pastors to famous online pastors. And in fact, I would venture to say one of the reasons for a lot of bad sermons is the preacher trying to imitate the style of another guy and the listeners expecting to hear another style than that which they are getting. I remember one time in my college preaching class, I tried to imitate one of my uh, teaching and preaching heroes was Ed Heinsohn. I mean, I, I, this guy was a teacher of the Word of God. Uh, just uh, he, was, he, he was just my hero. And uh, I would watch how he would approach the pulpit. And, 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 and to this day, that's what I do. I mean, he leapt out of, the, he leapt out of that front row and he would... Or, or back then they had the thrones behind the thing. He would leap from that, and he would just boom into that. And I thought, you know, that's now that there is good things to imitate. And I have imitated because I'm like, man, I, I just I want to explode out of that. And of course, uh, those uh, anyway, you just get full and you're ready to do that. But I also saw him one time uh, stretch out his arms. He 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 he's a taller man than I, and he stretched out his arms and he did an illustration like that, and it was just so powerful. And so I was in preaching. I said, I'm going to try that. And so I, I, I did that in preaching class, and I came to my point, and, and, and I threw my arms out, and it was, it was wonderful. Until you come in preaching class, your colleagues then critique you. Uh, and, and so I, I think I got pretty good comments, whatever. I don't remember any comment, except it came down to, 
you know, you did really good, Chris, until you came to that end. Why'd you put your arms out in that awkward fashion? You know, <laughs> somehow it didn't strike them like when Heinsohn was doing it. And, uh, and, and, yeah, and I think I just kind of went, I think I made the point and then I did, you know, that, you know, and it was just like, what, why'd you do that? And so, don't, uh, unfair comparisons. Number four, number four, this is critical. Pray. Pray and then pray some more for your pastors as they preach and teach God's Word. Pray for the speaker. You know, Romans 15, Paul says, I beg you, I beg you that you strive with together with me in prayers to God for me. And he goes on and says, I want you to pray that my ministry will be acceptable to the saints. In Ephesians 6... 18 through 20, he says, Pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, whether it's evangelism or, or preaching, pray that God would anoint the preachers and teachers, and not just of the adults, but of the children in our church. Don't stop praying for the pastors. Pray for the sermon. Pray for the worship service. All facets of the worship service impact and lead up to the preaching and flow from it. So you pray for the worship. You pray for the songs and the singing and the praise. Uh, Pastors' prayer partners are not just a select group of men, but it's all of us as a congregation. Yes, there's definite men that have committed to praying more, but we all should be praying. And here's the thing. Pray for yourself. Ask God that you'll profit from less than perfect presentation of the Scriptures. Because guess what? Every Sunday, that's what you hear. Every Sunday, you hear less than perfect presentations. And so if you're waiting for that perfect presentation, then I'll listen, you're missing the whole point. Pray that you'll benefit from the less than perfect presentations you hear at our church. Number five, fight the frustration of being caught in a bad sermon for practical reasons. You've got to fight that frustration. Is it hard to listen to a bad sermon? Yes, it is. We've got to fight that frustration. And if you focus on it, you'll get more frustrated. And eventually, if you don't physically get up and walk out, you'll mentally... Tune out, shut off, and hit the, your internal mute button. But before you do that, stop and think, who am I really muting? I'm really muting God. I'm really tuning God out because we've said it, and I'll say it again, God still speaks through bad sermons. Okay? See, when sermons are failing, you have a choice to make. You can sit there and get more frustrated, or you can hoop a kuo. Review the seven spiritual skills. That's why you ought to have... Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How do I need to listen? Find one positive thing that's being said and focus on it. Number six, be an encourager. Be an encourager whenever you see progress in preaching or teaching. Find positive things. When's the last time you sent... And I'll use Bruce so it doesn't seem like I'm uh, elevating myself. When's the last time you sent Pastor Bruce a positive email about his preaching? And, 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 I mean, listen, you know, I can say this. The preaching and teaching around here is not so bad that you can't find something positive. Okay? I think it's more than that. But that's for you to say, not for me. 
But when's the last time you sent an email, wrote a note, or said a positive word? And I don't mean that was good. I mean, wow, God spoke to me in this way through that lesson, and I'm going to make changes. Or, wow, I need to pray about the changes. You know, be specific. Okay. You can offer constructive criticism, but be sure it's outweighed by positive affirmation. Preachers need criticism, too. And so it's okay to say, you know, um, I forget. what. Oh, I, uh, Zach Werner uh, finally helped me out and told me that irregardless was not a word. And that I was using it the wrong... Every time I wanted to say regardless, I would say irregardless. You remember that? I don't know, maybe you do. I would say, irregardless. I thought that was a word. Zach informed me it wasn't. I said, hey, thanks, and then I worked on it. And every once in a while I caught, and I don't think I say that anymore. So if there's something, if there's a personality, a habit, or a, 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 and, and, <laughs> you know, something that's said wrong, or, you know, and some of us, we just have a gift for saying things funny and wrong, and, and you just got to ignore that. We, we all know, we understand. But uh, there, there are other things that can be an irritant or a distraction and say, hey, you know what, I don't know if you're aware that you do this, but you may want to work on that. Now, I, I, I give you full freedom, come and tell me that. But it would be nice if it was preceded and followed by months of positive affirmation. <laughs> you know, there's some of you that have the gift of being critical. That's your gift. And so all you can say, I have that. I have the gift of seeing the spot on the sheet. Now, that's what got me. But i got to make sure that I'm sharing about the, all the whiteness I've seen before I share the spot. So, there you go. All right, rather than Russia, because the next kind of reason we will do after Brother Dale, because I really don't have another series that I'm ready to dive into, and it's summer. And this next reason we will have fun with, because let me give you the point. Textual reasons for bad sermons. Okay, textual. This is where it gets fun. This is where I have things that I can't show you, that you need to just go and Google worst sermon, and you will see textual reasons for bad sermons. Now, in this case, the sermon is lacking in either biblical content, biblical insight, or biblical substance. Okay, The first sermon, the sermon is solid, it's good. The second, the content is not there. The man of God may still be a sincere, but you're starting to run. Here's what happens as you move, and I'll give you the third kind. The third kind is heretical sermons. Now, here, here's what's going on with this. The, the more you move along this spectrum, so here, here you got bad sermons, right? So, and it's a spectrum. There's practical, and then what's the second? There's textual, and then there's what? Heretical. Okay, so it's a spectrum, or to be honest with you, it's a decline. All right. Now, what's interesting is the the farther you go across this spectrum, the more the character of the preacher is involved. Okay, so you can have a bad sermon due to personality and presentation, and he it's a true man of God. Uh, you need to follow him. You need to listen to him. You need to uphold him, pray for him, help him improve, wait on him. You know, one of the ironies of, of both Bruce and I here, you have, you have seen us progress. And you, you have suffered. I mean, mine, thank God, are so long ago. That, that I, but I, this week I did reflect. I thought, boy, I remember Wednesday nights was where I started. And uh, I can only imagine... 
you know, what Jerry and some of you had to sit through, you know, and, 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 and watching Pastor Bruce progress. And, and, and we forget that even the, the MacArthur's and these guys progress, right? You, you don't, and that's the other thing. You're hearing these guys at their peak. Unfortunately, you get us through the whole progression, right? So, the character, but here's the thing. Once you move to textual, it starts saying something about the preacher. And when you move to heretical, you can't separate the two. There's a reason why you have false teaching is because you have what? False teachers. Okay? And here it can be a little, a, a little interesting. And so the idea here is suppose that the sermon is well present, presented, it's interesting and easy to listen to, but the more you listen, the more you wonder if the pastor has a proper understanding of the passage. So let me give you this one illustration, and we'll close with this. Of, so last week, you know, we always go to church on our vacation because we figure, hey, Sunday's the Lord's Day, and that didn't change just because we you know, went to another state or, or went on our vacation. God's not on vacation, and, and it's His day, and so we try to prioritize. And I will be the first to admit, you don't want to go to church on your vacation. You lay there and you think, and Saturday I have my battles, you know, well, you know, I can always open the Word and we can have church as a family. And, and if you do that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I fight that and I resist it. And then you know what? I go and I'm glad I went. Because that's where I know I need to be. I need to be with God's people hearing God's Word. So we went to a church that we, we have gone to in the past. Okay, good church, bad sermon. Okay, for textual reasons. It's Father's Day. I'm pretty psyched up. Father's Day, you know, I get to, you know, receive this and, and hear this. I don't have to prepare. I don't have to think about being, you know, I, I just get to be preaching. So we're there at this church, good Baptist church. Nothing wrong with the church. And we're there, and it's Father's Day. And we walk in, as is today, media saturated. There's, there's road signs all over the church. You know, stop, yield, one way. They're just all over the church. And and this is a more traditional church, so it's even you know kind of funnier to see this because there's just it's a traditional platform, traditional church with all these big you know signs that look like the youth department went nuts the night before and put them all up. So we walk in and and he's starting a series on signs, and uh, and so it's Father's Day. So he reads. Let me here, here's the text. So the text is Jeremiah, right? So here, here's the text, Jeremiah 31, 21. Well, I'm ex anytime someone preaches from the Old Testament, I get excited because those make good sermons when you preach the text. And so here's the, here's the sermon. Here's the verse, Jeremiah 31, 21. Set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart, heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin Israel. Turn back to these your cities. Now, you're, you know you're in trouble on Father's Day and you're reading a text about, oh, virgin Israel. You know, where is this going? Well, what happened was he read that, made a few references, and then proceeded to preach on fathers, listen to the stop sign. Stop and then stop these things. Fathers, yield. you got to yield to God. And then the yield sign was on the screen. Fathers, there's only one way. You know, and, and, and I, I kept reading the verse and listening to what he was saying, and I was like, where are we? And obviously, you hit the concordance, you look for signposts, road marks, here's a verse, read this, off we go. And he actually tried and attempted to relate it back to the text, but the reality was, it was a bad sermon. Now, in some ways, it wasn't. 
And so we'll talk next week. How do you listen to that? And the more you're trained, I, I grant it, as a preacher or as a trained uh, in the Bible, it's hard. it was harder. I, I doubt if Gwen thought it was a bad sermon. So I have to curtail. You know, oh, that was great. I hope you listened to that, Dad. You know, but the reality was, okay, now how do I listen to this? And, uh, and, and because if you would set, because here's the thing, if I set aside the text, it was a great sermon. But what's wrong with what I just said? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and if you're geared and shaped like me, set aside the text and just listen, Chris. That's hard for me to do. Okay, so we'll talk. How do you listen to a bad sermon that's textual? And I will share with you more uh, humorous uh, examples of them. And there are many of them. Okay? And so here's what I want you to do. Take those six ways and you think through those. And you, you get alone with God and say, how can I improve my hearing? When I hear a sermon, and let's not call it bad, let's say it's imperfect. You know, it's just less than what I, than what I hoped for or expected. How do I listen to it? It's still God speaking. All right? Let's pray. Father, we come and, 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 and we're humbled. Again, I am just so amazed that we live in a place <laughs> where we can have Bibles in every color, we can have Bibles in every translation. We can have study Bibles by great men of God. We can have thousands of downloads of your word. And yet there's a famine in the land. There's a famine for your word to be hupakuod, to be obeyed and heard with the desire to apply. And so, Lord, don't let the imperfections of me or anyone else stand in the way of hearing you speak. Let us fight through the frustration. Let us fight through the distractions. And let's hear you speak through imperfect... We're cracked pots, and yet your glory bleeds through the cracks. It's for your glory that we want to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.